Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Good morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to start with our call to worship. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4, where Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I have also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Amen. Would you join with us as we lift up in singing, How Great is Our God. The splendor of a king Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself in light And darkness tries to hide Trembles at his at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God oh we'll see how great how great is our God in age to What are you hoping for? What gets you up in the morning? What is it that motivates you to keep on going, especially when life becomes difficult or today when the days and the weeks just seem to run on and we don't know the difference between one day or the next? It seems like today we are living in a world of hopelessness. Whether it's religiously, culturally, politically, medically, people are wondering what's the use it's kind of like Pandora's box. You remember that from elementary school, maybe junior high? 
Pandora's box is an artifact in Greek mythology which contained all the evils in the world. And in curiosity, Pandora opened the box only to see all the evils flood out. And in in a hurry, as soon as she noticed what was happening, she slams the lid shut, leaving only one left in the box, which was hope. And sometimes life can feel that way. That hope is trapped, is not found, or it's just out there, just far from our grasp. Yet even in this difficult world, in our stressful lives, hope still lives. For many of us, hope is a source of strength and uh, and motivation. We have a hope in a goal or a dream or something to attain. It could be a better future, to finish school without a lot of debt. It could be to provide for our family a positive change in our outlook or our behavior. Maybe it's more stability or recovery or even a healing. But what exactly is hope? Is it faith in myself or some circumstance or something else? Is it something that you and I can make happen in and within ourselves? Or is it all up to faith? Do we just accept what our life and days bring us? Or is it just wishful thinking? Is hope recognizing that the outcome is out of my grasp or out of my hands or out of my control? One young lady defined hope as a feeling or state of being that one day things will get better. And I think that sums up what many of us feel or that state of being can be captured many times by that old phrase that used to be said many times. One day my ship will come in. One day I will get the money I need. I'll get the job I need. Or my my kids will be better. Or my spouse will be better. Or I will be better. That's a major selling point of the lottery. If I could just win that mega billions or mega millions or whatever it might be. We're just looking for something to solve our problems. To be the savior that you and I need. Yet hope needs to be based on something or someone or it just becomes wishful thinking. The fulfillment of our wants, desire, dreams, and aspirations must be anchored, or it just becomes elusive and unattainable. Now, one question that comes in mind while asking others about hope was, is faith and hope interchangeable, or are they different? Are they the same? We say we have faith, we have hope, but what is faith and hope? Well, I want to share with you that faith is not a belief in ourselves or others, but is a confident trust in the promises of God. It's not something that you and I conjure within ourselves. It's not based on my ability, but it's a confident trust in the promises of God. The same as we look at the next one, hope is not a wishful thinking, but is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. We see in scripture that faith, hope, and love and abide. But these things are not something that you and I have within ourselves. No, these both, both faith and hope, are a gift from God. And they're not based on us. They're not based on the government. They're not based on someone else. But they're based on the person and character of God. So are you hoping in God? Are you putting your faith in God? You see, people are hoping for a financial savior, a political savior, a relationship savior, a career savior, one who can resave them in their retirement or their satisfaction. Yet what we truly need is a savior to put our faith and hope in. And this morning, I want to narrow down to three things that I believe encapsulate all of our hopes. The first one you're going to see is restoration. We are aware that things are not as they should be. We recognize that things are broken many times beyond repair. We understand this and we desire healing, recovery, and a better life. The second one that we see is mercy and grace. We are unaware that we do not want what we deserve and we desire something better. Shame and guilt rule and paralyze our decision making and life. The third is that of righteousness and justice. We are aware that evil exists and we long for fairness and an accounting to make things right. In these, in restoration, mercy and grace and righteousness, we find these three things. 
encapsulate our hopes and our dreams. But the question we have to ask is, how did we get to this point? Why is it that we understand that things are broken? That we are getting what we deserve? That righteousness and justice seem to be elusive? How do we get to put or get to this point? Well, first I want to point out that in the beginning, life was not hopeless. Scripture tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Pastor Milton Vincent in his gospel primer. And again, just as a note, he's the pastor of Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church in Riverside, California. I recommend everyone get this book. It is such a good little book that just captures the beauty of the scriptures and what it says about the gospel. We're indebted to him this morning as he sums up the words of scripture when he writes about God. My God is immense beyond imagination. He measured the entire universe with merely the span of his hand. He is unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections, absolutely righteous, holy, and just in all his ways. He has also been unbelievably good and merciful to me as the creator and sustainer of my life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function of every organ in my body is a gift from him. Every legitimate pleasure I experience is a gift from his loving hand to me. He goes on to write that all that I am and all that I have, I owe to him and to his goodness. My life in every way is and will continue to be utterly dependent upon him in whom I live and move and have my being. This wonderful God is the most supremely worthy object of admiration, honor and delight in all of the universe. And he has created me with the intention that I might glorify him by finding my soul's delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of my ways. This is the creator of all things. Scripture points to us that God is both simple and complex. He's inventive and creative, intelligent and purposeful. It's the source of justice, righteousness, love and mercy, the source of all that is good. And he has created man to rule over his creation and to look to God as the supreme object of admiration. However, continuing in the gospel primer, the writer once again captures scripture's description of our rebellion against this holy God. This one who is to be the supreme object of our admiration. Instead of worshiping him, instead of adoring him, he writes, I could not have failed this great God more miserably than I have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over my life, I have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt myself above him. Going my own way and living according to my own wisdom, I have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. Wayne Grumman defines sin as a failure to conform to God's moral law in our nature and our attitudes and actions. If you and I are honest with ourselves, we understand that this describes us. Milton Vincent continues to say, Think of myself to be wise. I have shown myself to be a fool. And because of my arrogance, God has every right to damn me to the everlasting experience of his terrifying wrath in the lake of fire. You see, the penalty of our rebellion against this wonderful creator is death. For Pastor Vincent goes on to say, Save for myself. And apart from Christ, I am bound by the guilt of my sins and also bound by the power of sin, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Apart from Christ, I am also utterly deserving of sin and destined for eternal punishment in the lake of fire, completely unable to save myself or to make one iota of a contribution to my own salvation. In this you and I stand. For all of humanity has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all gone our own way. And this describes all of us. Those of us 
who are born. And so with that, I would like us to take a moment to consider that accusation and that plea as we sing how deep the Father's love.
morning, OVBC. Uh, even though uh, we're uh, separated by distance, please join your heads. Pray with me silently as I pray out loud, and we can all be joined over that distance through a common prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here we are, Easter Sunday, sequestered in our homes and unable to gather in, per- in person for this wonderful celebration of your victory over death. What are we to do with such a thing? We cannot despair that it should not be this way, because we know that you are sovereign over all, including this virus and the responses to it. We cannot despair of our unique circumstances in the modern age, because we have the ability through the internet to still share together in singing and sitting under the preached word. We cannot despair that we live in a time of advanced knowledge of the natural world. We can track and know where this virus is and who it has infected and how we can treat them. And yet even so, we struggle with despair and a lack of hope. My brothers and sisters, let me today encourage you through prayer that these things should not be for the Christian. The local church family is instituted that we might love one another, pour into one another, share in each other's burdens and triumphs and trials and praises. Meeting together, shaking hands and hugging and breaking bread and all the rest, it's something that we need and we sorely miss it this morning, yes. But we are also the one unique people in all of creation who can look forward to the blessed hope of resurrection from the dead. Therefore, we have no fear of the things of this world. Our master is greater than them all, and he has promised that we shall not fall from his hand. We should be filled with hope, and the reason because of, is because of what we've come to celebrate today, Christ and his victory over the power of sin through resurrection from the dead. The apostles, when they preached, always testified concerning the resurrection of Jesus. It was the north star of their gospel, It was the testimony that Jesus rose, died, and rose again from the dead that they continually brought up over and over again. When they chose another apostle to replace the betrayer Judas, they said, One must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. The very office of an apostle was set upon the foundation of being a witness to the resurrection. When Peter stood up before the multitude at Pentecost, he unfolded Old Testament prophecy to both condemn those who had asked for Jesus' crucifixion and to give them hope for forgiveness. God raised Christ up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. When Peter and John were taken before the council, the reason was that they taught, the, uh, taught and preached to the people that Jesus had raised from the dead, and that they too would share in that resurrection from the dead. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Paul wrote, But if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers is a doctrine which we believe and we affirm and we celebrate on this blessed Easter morning. No distance or quarantine can dim the glorious North Star that we look to. So this morning, as we gather with Christians all over the world to give praise and honor and worship to our most holy Savior, let us remember what Peter preached on Pentecost to those who cried out, What shall we do in the face of their sin? He said, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. On Easter morning, Jesus Christ rose from the grave in glorious victory over sin, and through his love and the Father's mercy and the Spirit's presence, we may also partake in that truth too beautiful to behold. OVBC, we may not be in the same room, but we are still one church body, bound together by love and by our faith. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, in the words of Peter, let us proclaim, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We love you dearly, OVBC family. 
Let us now raise up songs of worship to a most holy and most worthy God. Amen. We now come to the redemption of man and creation as we think of putting our hope in a Savior. You know, Dr. Michael Vlock describes the disobedience of Adam and Eve as a statement of autonomy and a declaration of independence from the Creator. You see, Adam and Eve doubted God's truthfulness and goodness, and instead they focused on their own desires. They wanted to live apart from God. Instead of working and cultivating the earth, Adam and Eve's rebellion opened the door to sin that has been destroyed all of creation ever since, spiritually, relationally, physically, and mentally. And what you and I need is the gospel. That is what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. You see, the gospel is not about self-esteem, about feeling better about myself. It's not a self-realization of finding the real me. It's not about self-improvement, learning how to be a better person. And the gospel is not about self-righteousness, about earning my own salvation. No, to many, Christ is a solution to a problem. They think of him as a therapist or a source of moral conduct, but they do not think of him as a savior. They see the gospel as a quaint story or many times as intolerant of people's lifestyles and choices. But what you and I must realize, especially this Resurrection Sunday, is that the gospel is the basis of our hope. It is the foundation. That is the confident expectation that you and I ought to have, that God is faithful to the promises that he has given to you and I in the gospel. So I'd like to share with you this morning three promises of hope in the gospel. Three promises of hope in the gospel. Number one, the first promise is a promise of a redeemer to restore all things. You and I need someone to restore that which was broken. And in Genesis 3.15, we see that first promise given immediately after the rebellion against the holy God. God promises, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, speaking of the serpent represented, uh, representing Satan. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first uh, preaching of the gospel. Since our first parents rebelled against this holy, wonderful creator, Paul tells us in his letter to the Roman church that we too are guilty that we are without excuse, for Adam's sin has been passed down throughout the generations. And like Adam, you and I have sinned, meaning that our nature and our attitude and our actions are, by, are marred by a rebellion and desire to be our own God. See, you and I do not need behavior modification or behavior change, because we are rebellious in our actions and our attitudes and our very nature. And because of this, God's wrath is poured out on all of creation, both man, animal, and earth alike. So you and I need a redeemer to redeem us from this rebellion, to restore all of creation, and, God's, and God promises to do so in Ephesians 3.15. That is the hope of the Old Testament, the hope of the prophets and the Jewish people. And God fulfilled that promise. He fulfilled that hope when he sent his son Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know this verse. But it goes on, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So there's a promise of a redeemer to restore all things. We, we know that there must be a restore. Things are broken. So our hope must be found in the fact that Christ will come to redeem and restore all things. Secondly, you and I must have a confident expectation in the promise that God would release his children from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. From the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 
Paul writes, in you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. It says that this, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Think of it. Think of all the troubles and the difficulties and the problems of life. Where do they come from? Why is there hatred, anger, wars, temptation, sickness, and death? It's because of sin. Suffering is a hallmark of life now, in the here and now. We will bear the scars of sin in our lives and the suffering, and we hope for relief and an end to our suffering and to our pain. But what we need, though, is not just a temporary relief. We need a final solution an end to the devastating effects of sin. And that is the promise of God. The Apostle Paul writes that while we are still in this tent, speaking of our bodies, we groan being hardened or burdened. And that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, the problem is, is that we need our sins wiped out, not judged by God. And that solution is found in Christ who suffers and bears our penalty and also earns our righteousness. In Ephesians 1.7, Paul writes that in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So this is the promise to release his children from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. You see, forgiveness is not enough. We need both God's forgiveness and Christ's, Christ's righteousness or we would never have favor with God or be able to stand in his presence. Paul writes in Romans 5, 18 through 19, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For by as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. You see, through Christ's obedience, we are made right with God. Amen? That's what we need to understand. Uh, we are now both free from the penalty and the power of sin. We no longer have to pay that penalty. We no longer have to work to try to make ourselves right with a God, which is futile anyway. And the power of sin now is broken. And one day, we will be free from the presence of sin. For we know that the Christian, the one who trusts in these promises, still will fight daily with sin. With this, we come to the point that Jesus came in the flesh to die for us. He is the promise. He fulfills the promise of the Redeemer to restore all things. He is the, the, the answer, the promise to release his children from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. He came to die for us, to exchange our sin for his righteousness. Our redemption, restoration, and hope comes from the death of the innocent for the guilty. We just must pause a moment to consider this high cost of God's plan to redeem us. The suffering, the pain, the ridicule and rejection Jesus went, under, went for us was immense. One of the most wonderful words ever to be uttered were the words of Jesus when he said upon the cross, It is finished. The Gospel of John records that immediately after saying these words that Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you join me this morning as we just lift up that song, It Is Finished. Amen. 
Please join me for a scripture reading this morning, and our scripture reading is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and we're starting in verse 1. So Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Through the fiercest drought and storm, what hides it? 
So we come now to the third point as we're looking at that which we should have a hope in. Remember, hope is a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. We've seen, number one, the promise of a redeemer to restore all things. The promise to release his children from the penalty and power in the presence of sin. And now we come to the third, the promise of the return of Jesus Christ as king to rule in righteousness and justice. In John chapter 14, Jesus promised his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's this promise. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now that is something worth having hope in. Not a wishful thinking, but the confident expectation that the king will come to rule in righteous and justice. Scripture tells us that Christ will come again. Not only will he come to rule in righteousness and justice, but also to renewal and to, to heal. The apostle John writes in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. These promises are the Christian's hope. It is our motivation. It is the source of our joy. These three promises find their fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. These promises are not based on wishful thinking or on a leap of blind faith. No, our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, we re, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we learn that these promises are not based on just intellectual facts, though that is part of it. No, these are not based on flights of fancy or myths or legend. The apostle Peter tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection is unique to the Christian faith. No other religion claims that their leader, their savior has been raised from the dead. And without the resurrection, Peter writes that if in Christ we have hope, this confident expectation in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile. Our hope is based on nothing more than just wishful thinking. However, God tells us that as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul Beasley Murray in his book, The Message of the Resurrection, writes of the Easter gospel, that living hope, that confident expectation that fulfills the promises of restoration, mercy and grace and righteousness and justice. He writes that in the first place, the Easter gospel is good news because it proclaims that Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The Lord appeared to Peter and other disciples. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He goes in the second place. It is good news because it proclaims a risen Savior. Our sins have been forgiven. God has set his seal of approval on the crucified. Jesus was raised to life for our justification. In other words, for our declaration that we are no longer not guilty. The penalty has been paid. In the third place, he writes, the Easter gospel is good news because it proclaims a glorious hope again. Not a glorious wishful thinking or wishful thought, but a confident expectation. You see, death has been swallowed up in victory. We shall be with the Lord forever, he writes. Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. And in the fourth and last place, of no less importance, the Easter gospel is good news because it proclaims a present power. The risen Lord is present with his people today. Already in the here and now, we may begin to share in the risen life of Jesus, even in these days of hopelessness. Even in our present moments of weakness, we may experience the transforming power of his resurrection. Here is the good news indeed, he writes. The resurrection is more than just a past event that we think of, that we celebrate and a future prospect that we look for, it is a present reality. So as we come this morning, as we think of what is your hope in today, my question is why not today? Put your hope in the one who is restored, who is given grace, and who is bringing justice and righteousness to our lives. Our response to this is very clear. The resurrection of Christ is found in John chapter 11. When we say Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's sharing this with her before he's about to raise Lazarus from the death. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So the question is, do you believe that this morning? Is it more than just an intellectual assent? It must be that, but it must be more than that. There must be an emotion that's tied to it, something that changes and says, this is what I will accept. I will put my hope in that. If you do believe, our next step is found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, Paul writes, bringing salvation for all people. And here's what he's calling us to do. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, that confident expectation that the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself, a people of his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So I end with this. Why not today? Wherever your hope is found, let it be found in a Savior who's come to redeem his people from their sin, to redeem his people from the power of sin, to redeem his followers and his, his children from the presence of sin, the one who will usher in righteousness and justice who will store all things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Apostle Paul quotes Jesus when he writes, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Please, my friend, accept your need of a Savior. Repent of your dead works. That's recognizing that you cannot please God yourself. Repent is just a simple word that means a change of behavior, a change of mind, a change of attitude. It's a 180 degree. It's recognizing who God is, that wonderful creator who should be the object of our admiration, understanding who we are, that we are sinners deserving of, of death, the penalty of sin, and turning and putting our trust that God has accepted the works of Christ on our behalf for salvation. Let me ask you, what is stopping you today from accepting this wonderful gift of God? Do not wait another moment. Tomorrow is not promised to you, nor is one more second. What is your hope in? Why not put it in Christ today? No more wishful thinking, but in someone who could change your life and bring you into eternity. Jesus said, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Do not delay. Come to him today, this morning. Put your hope in the one who secures our salvation. For the believer that is watching me this morning, who's listening the Bible commands us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God has encouraged us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord our labor is not in vain, even in these darker times. Continue in that hope you were called. For we as Christians, we should be responding to the events today differently from the world. Hence why it says that we can give them the reason for the hope that is in us. Not the wishful thinking, but the confident expectation that God is faithful to his promises. For the seeker, your response to God's word is to repent and turn to God in faith. The Bible gives you the good news that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you were to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is what you should put your hope in this morning. And for those of you who are watching or listening, you're a skeptic. 
You're not quite sure. You have many questions. But what is your hope based on? What is your truth? Scripture tells us that it's appointed for man to die once. And after that, he comes to judge. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You do not have time to continue to think about it. Today is the day of salvation. What is your hope? What is your trust? Yes, you may still have questions. You are still looking for answers. But again, the hope for the believer is that now we see in a mirror dimly. But then one day we will be face to face with God. Now I know in part that I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. One of the issues that we have today is that we always want to know all things and see things all clearly. But we must be honest. And we must be humble to recognize we cannot see all things clearly. But scripture through the Holy Spirit illumines our mind. I pray that the Spirit of God will drop the scales from your eyes and open your blind eyes to the truth of scripture. The one that we should have our hope in. The apostle Peter writes that Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world. But he was made manifest or made known in these last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Today I implore you to respond by trusting in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ to be right with God. Put your hope in a Savior, one who can fulfill the promises of God to restore all things, to offer us grace and mercy, and to usher in righteousness and justice. Those things that you and I truly hope for. Let me end with this verse. In 1 John 5.13, the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. What's your hope in? Why not today put your hope in a Savior? Would you join with us in singing Grace Alone? I was an orphan lost at the fall Running away when not hear your call Father, you worked your will. And I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. Father, you love me still. And in love before you made the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. So high above my station I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone You left your home to seek out the lost You knew the great and terrible cost Jesus, your face was set And I worked my fingers down to the bone Nothing I did could ever atone Jesus, you paid my debt And by your blood I have redemption and salvation Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown And you rose that I might be a new creation darkness all of my life I never knew the day from the night the spirit you made me see yeah, I swore I knew the way of my own and full of rocks a heart made 
have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.